big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name is Marion Rose. And I'm Lael Stone. And today we are talking about healing trauma through play. How exciting. <laughs> but before, yes. we go, before we go into that, we are, we're already in the apt uh, mood. <laughs> so um, how's your week been, Lael? <laughs> <laughs> My week has been big this week. I'm, uh, I, I was just, we were just chatting. I think I'm in the middle of, is it an existential crisis? Is that what we call it yeah, when it you're just like, yeah. just like, what? Um, I'm doing some good, profound inner work at the moment. And oh. so I'm, I'm. I'm waking up in the morning going, I have no idea who I am. And do I even know anything? I'm having these funny moments of just going, oh, my God. Sometimes when you're going through big stuff and your world turns upside down, that's where I am this week, which is great and fun. And what it's making me want to do is just, like, hide in my bed and watch Netflix and not talk to anyone (laughs) ever. So that's when I know I'm really hitting something big because I just want to hide. Um, but I am also wonderful and fine. And I was laughing to myself that I've been in this place many times before on my journey. Oh, no, I'll come out the other side. And this time, at least when I'm in it, I'm not trying to push my way out of it. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm sitting in some crap at the moment. I'm looking, sorting through some stuff. It's helping me see what I need to shift in my world. It feels messy. It doesn't I don't like it, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's where I am this week. <laughs> what about so much you? love to you, Lael. So much love. <laughs> Which is amazing. funny because we've tried a few times to record this podcast and I've got a Marion. I've got no words. I've got nothing to offer. I can't speak. <laughs> She's like, all right, let's let's leave it for a few days then, shall we? <laughs> so yes. But here we are today. I'm oh, laughing. And you. I'm uh, and I'm I'm observing the beauty of life and um the ups and downs that we need to often move through as we shift through stuff. Exactly. So that's me. What about you, exactly. my friends? How are you? How's I, your week I, been? I'm in the kind of slightly opposite the polarity at the moment, whereas a few weeks ago we were the other way around, when, when we, um, as I have all this, uh, had all these downloads, I've got this life energy, uh, I've got a new direction for some new work that I'm really excited about and just uh, so much what I call will energy, <laughs> like I'm really wanting to get going. So I was a little bit like usually low, aren't we, We're like when we postpone our recordings, I said, yeah, you know, so understand, I trust your timing and I really want to do it soon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love that I love yeah I love that you yeah you were like I've got lots of stuff going on let's let's do this it's gonna be magic I'm like no no magic my <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love that. You know, well, I, and we often talk about this. I, I deeply love our mutual respect to trust timing when we're meant to record stuff or when we do things because um, it's always perfect when we actually get around to doing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. Always, always. always. Mm, feather barking yes. in the background. Hello, Feather. Um, so we're kind of playful. So that's perfect, isn't it? Play. Mm-hmm. I'd love to say a little few things about play before we dive into. We'd love to talk really, give you some specific 
play ideas mm. uh, around really specific specific topics but first of all if you've never heard the idea of play being something that you can support children with to heal from trauma well it's a really core part of aware parenting so in aware parenting there are basically two core ways that we can basically cooperate with our child's natural healing process one is through crying and raging which of course we talk about a lot and the other one is through play and laughter and if you think about it for yourself, I'm sure you may have had a time where maybe you're feeling, maybe you're at a party, do you remember those back in the day? And you're feeling uncomfortable and maybe you find yourself laughing or maybe at a job interview or perhaps you've watched a comedian and noticed that a lot of the jokes are about things like mother-in-laws and kind of, you know, unenjoyable stuff because laughter and play are an innate um way mechanism process through which we release feelings that from stressful events from traumatic events from even just minor like uncomfortablenesses and our bodies are so so wise and you know what i happen to be listening to something about ted talks this morning because i want to do a ted talk like you lovely lail mm-hmm. um and it was they were talking about laughter someone who'd come and done a ted talk about laughter and how it's really like um and i'm apologies i don't know who, who that person was but about how it's so um it's some have you ever watched on youtube if you look up laughter videos and there's some of those uh yo laughter yoga and people mm-hmm. watch videos of laughing and then they <laughs> laugh and some mm-hmm. of the laughs are so kind of funny out there there's one man that kind of goes ooh, 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 like that. and it's so this person was saying you know it sounds like an animal sometimes laughter it's mm-hmm. like it's because these are so um old and innate and part of our core body wisdom that we have mm-hmm. and our children are constantly trying to heal through play and laughter and as I often say we're often working against that natural mm-hmm. process so what we want to do really here is to support you to maybe see more when your child is actually inviting that because so often it's about trusting them they know what they need to heal and actually following their lead but also we can um, if our child has got something going on there are lots of really specific types of attachment play that we can use to help them heal from stress and trauma so that is what we're going to be talking about Mm. love to hear what you'd love to Mm. add to that just as you're talking I just had a memory Mm. so this is like 25 years ish plus ago I was when I was young and I was living in the UK and um I got a phone call that my grandmother had died and my cousin was living there at the time I wasn't very close to my cousin and he came home from work and I had to tell him that our gran had died and I laughed the whole time I was telling him mm. and I couldn't stop myself. And I felt, you know, I remember at the time not understanding, obviously I was much younger and re- I felt really bad that I couldn't stop laughing. He's like, why are you laughing? I'm like, I don't know. But mm. I literally was laughing as I was telling him that our grand had died. Mm. And I, you know, I think back to young Lael then who was probably really deeply like embarrassed because she didn't know how to stop it. But that was my way of processing yes. what was going on in that time because I had to give him some really bad news. Oh. And I, and you know, in, in sharing that story and I'm sure parents are very familiar with this you may have experiences with your kids that when 
you maybe tell them to not do something or or you're setting a limit, they might laugh. And often parents have come to me and said, I think my child is like, you know, not okay because they laugh when they do something horrible or they laugh when they hurt someone or they laugh when I'm telling them to stop doing it. And that's a really beautiful reminder too that that's often the body trying to process some of those feelings going on and it's using laughter as a way to doing it to do it so it's not that your child is sinister or that they're mean or any of those things it's their way of trying to move some of that energy and stuff that's sitting there I mean also just thinking about too and and we've shared the story about um, on our grief podcast where we talked about death and we talked we have and we, we'll touch on a bit more today too about um, play around death um, when I was with my dear beautiful friend when her son died and um, we were there and it was really reverent it was really beautiful and he had just passed and then somebody said something and then we were laughing hysterically and then we were crying again and then we were laughing again and it was really beautiful just the movement of what all our bodies had to do as we were feeling you know the loss but also incredible joy and and bliss but also lots of sadness and that all those feelings and expressions came out then as as exactly as you said Marion such a natural state for the body to do what it needs to do to to process so you know that was a a pretty profound experience Mm. and then you know I just wanted to say too and because you you touched on this you know when we're talking about play and and if you've listened to our podcast you'll have heard us talk about this so many times we deeply, deeply, deeply trust children know what they need to do to process and play is their magic. It is their, it is their way of, of processing and expressing and, and they know what they need to do. We often just miss the cues or we get in the way. And so that's why, you know, play is such a magnificent healing tool and, and a place for connection because it's children's natural innate ability to process what is happening in their world. So, to be able to be aware of what our children are playing, when they're playing it, how they're playing it, what they're doing, the laughter, all that kind of stuff is such a beautiful insight into perhaps what's going on in your child's world. So that's why we love it so much. Mm, oh my gosh. I am having uh, have a few memories as well. When, when you shared that, Lau, I remember also as a teenager being in a quite a traumatic situation and laughing and laughing and really thinking oh my god there's something really wrong with me for years I was like what what was going on there and when I found out about touch and play I felt so relieved that this was actually the natural normal healing process and releasing fear it's so amazing isn't it yes it's so clever it's you making me think about too um you know I taught for about five years I taught sex education to teenagers in secondary schools and um there were many classes where sometimes in the beginning I would deliberately say a word wrong or do something and then the class would start laughing but then they'd all get the giggles and then they would laugh hysterically which I absolutely loved because you know most of them were a bit nervous oh my god we're doing a sex ed class and what we're talking about and I really made it as fun and as light as possible because I knew for a lot of them it was a topic that they they felt maybe a bit unsure about or awkward about and so usually within the first 10 or 15 minutes if we could have had a really big laugh then often the class would flow so much easier because they'd moved some of that 
the stuff that was sitting there around their nervousness or anxiety around what we we're talking about. And um, so I had some really good, funny mm. um, sex ed jokes. <laughs> I bet you did. I bet you had so much fun. <laughs> it was actually some classes were so fun um, because, you know, I really went with the, and the teenagers, you know, I love teenagers so much and I think they have such a fantastic sense of humour a lot of the time, particularly when we're talking about sex. So mm. I used to think it was um, such a beautiful way to help, you know, everybody kind of feel a bit more comfortable. And, yeah, there's so many examples, aren't there, of how laughter and play can be so beneficial. Mm, oh, my gosh. I'm remembering one more. We'll probably just tell anecdotes all the time. <laughs> Should we just tell stories? I remember one. It's 1972. No, I remember one. It was when I had an ongoing um, love being a mother group. It was a little local group and, you know, sharing and, of course, lots of every week crying and sharing, beautiful. And then occasionally we just felt called as a as a group to start off the um, the meeting. Can we start it? Anyway, it doesn't really matter, but to actually start off saying things like, I can't even remember exactly, but, like, I don't really want to hear what anyone else has to say, you know, because in this community we're so often, like, you know, being empathic and so we just had all this kind of let's talk about you know just laughing and joking around that yeah. for the first few minutes yeah and then often someone would literally just burst into sobbing and crying because yes. it really let off all that you know we're, we're aiming to be empathic and and you know communicate clearly and compassionately and so actually being really goofy over the top around not being like that was often yeah. really helpful and mm. so I'd love to name that as well laughter and crying although as adults I think we can often see these as really separate things that for children they're often not I remember my kids when they were younger they would um, sometimes be laughing and laughing laughing and then crying 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 and then laughing Mm. and laughing laughing and you know they're actually um, not as dissimilar as we think they are Mm. and the thing about attachment players is it does often it creates such a deep sense of connection and equality between our child and us it helps create a sense of safety because they're being loved. It helps release the lighter feelings from their bodies. So often what will happen after attachment play is that the deeper feelings will start to bubble up. So I think that's also a really important thing to name because I talk to parents often over the years who said, but I did, you know, I did half an hour of non-directive child-centered play and, and, and then, you know, 15 minutes later they were just not happy about anything and they had a massive tantrum over some small thing like and uh, you know they wanted to um which I totally understand say but you know I've just played with you why you know (laughs) so sometimes children will feel after the play they will feel relieved and relaxed they will have healed a whole lot of stress or trauma they will have released that from their bodies but sometimes that beautiful connection and warmth and release actually supports them to to express the even deeper feelings so I think it's really important to bear that Mm. in mind that that can sometimes happen and Mm. sometimes it can happen like especially you know before bed children will often get playful because again natural healing mechanism natural relaxation mechanism before bed and then they might suddenly get pinchy or bitey so then we can just move in with the loving limits we I'm not willing for you to hit your sister and I'm right here and I'm listening and they'll have a really big cry because again it's that beautiful um, natural healing mechanism so just to hold that in mind same for us as adults we can all easily cry after a big laugh so can children Mm, I love that reminder another story Uh, (laughs) it's gonna be a story it was one of those days (laughs) I just you know when my kids were starting in primary school so usually in prep and grade one and actually sometimes in kinder 
uh, you know, we've shared, I've shared this on the podcast before, we would come home and the first thing we would do is we would do what I call rumbling, which was literally we'd walk in the door, drop our bags and run to our bed and we would wrestle and pillow fight on the bed for a good 15, 20 minutes, which is what we were doing was power reversal games, which is one of the things we're going to talk about, which is where my kids got to be stronger and they got to knock me over. And particularly because if they've been at kinder and school all day where they're being often told what to do, perhaps they don't have as much choice and autonomy as they want. There might've been stuff that's gone on with their friends. So it was the opportunity to connect with each other, but also for them to move some of that big, powerful energy. And I would say most of the time we would rumble for 15 or 20 minutes and then it would always end in tears. And, and you know, people say, well, careful, it'll end in tears. And I was like, that's a good thing. <laughs> so often what would happen is we'd rumble or something would happen and then there would be tears and they would have a really big, beautiful release. And then, and then their whole bodies would relax and they'd be like, ah. And then they wanted to go eat snacks and then the afternoon and the evening was wonderful because they'd moved all that stress and tension. So I used to find that a lot, particularly when my kids had been away from me or at kinder school that, that after we'd done some play, attachment play, that then there were tears and then it moved and it was beautiful. And I, I see that as such a win and such a positive thing. So I want to share that. So before we launch into stuff, I want to say too, you know, there's lots of, um, you know, we're parenting highly recommend Aletha Salter's book Attachment Play where she talks about all the different styles of play that you can do. Uh, if What we're going to do today, as Marion said, is just talk more about practical things you can do for different things that come up for kids that, that can be part of the healing. But if you want to know more about the different styles of play, go and have a look at Aletha Salter's book Attachment Play because it goes into it more there. But we are going to focus on some of the bigger things that come up for parents around um, how to use play and help kids. So where should we start, Marion? Do you want to do you want to start with some uh, fears and phobias? Because that I was just about to go there too. We're such in alignment. Um, Attachment place really helpful for human Mm. fears and phobias. I have a couple of examples. Um, So I also want to hold uh, talk about a little bit about the balance of attention. So balance of attention is a core thing in aware parenting, and I invite parents to. It's almost like if you understand this. You can always then be looking in any situation where uh, am I holding the balance of attention here? So the balance of attention is um, on one hand that a child feels deeply connected and safe and, um, you know, they're feeling that sense of being loved. So that creates the, the safety. And then on the other side, in some way, they're being reminded of the past stressful or traumatic situation in a way that um, is not completely overwhelming. So it, they're, you know, there needs to be a balance between those two things, the safety in the present and the reminder of the thing from the past. And then children will spontaneously uh, laugh or cry or rage. So often, particularly with play, we're often thinking about that balance of attention. So, for example, if a child has been scared by a dog, they it may be too much for them to be actually be with a, a real dog that might be too far over that side. It may be too um, too much like the original experience. So we may bring in a, a puppet dog or um, we may pretend to be a dog or more likely that we get them to pretend to be a dog and they get to chase us around the place. And if they're laughing, that tells us that they are actually releasing some of the feelings. So I remember with um, uh, uh, some... Two children who had a fear around dogs and we went through this whole process with their mum where the, uh, actually we borrowed our dog feather and the mum was holding feather on a lead and they were really scared to go anywhere near so I was with them and uh, we do things like first of all like maybe running 
running near to feather and then running away again and running and I'd be with them and running. It's a, a approach avoidance games, really helpful. Um, and then just over time, they laughed and laughed and laughed. And then they were willing to get closer and closer and closer. And then um, I think we, uh, we had a little puppet dog as well. I think they chased me around being the dog. And then one of them wanted to hold Feather on the lead. And then, that, you know, we were with them. So there were these steps through which they would laugh and laugh and laugh until they felt ready to do, to really move closer and closer to that original experience and laugh more until that they could actually go back and be with the dog and stroke the dog and not feel scared anymore. So that was a really helpful example. And the other one is with um, my daughter when she was about two, I think, and um, a really big insect had come in the house and I hadn't, I'd been a bit shocked and squealed or something like that. And after that, every time she saw any kind of little insect, even a, a mozzie, there are lots of those around here, she would get scared. So again, we did, we played a touch and play games around, you know, um, being scared of things and jumping up in the air, me pretending to jump, that, that can be a helpful game to, to release fears. And yeah, just after a few times that fear had been released. Whereas you think for so many of us, we have these scary things happen in our childhood. We don't get to heal and we stay scared of them for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. Yes, like the dentist. Like the dentist. <laughs> like snakes or like any of those things. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes. I, I, public you know, speaking, I, public yes, speaking. All of those things, totally. That That's where our fears come from because as we, we've talked on our trauma podcast before, we often have those frights or the, that fear and it almost stays stuck within us. We don't get the opportunity to release it. We don't get the opportunity to process it and feel it. So then it just becomes then part of the story that we carry and then we're, we, we often can, you know, take that with us into the future. I also have found too that sometimes with kids they can be scared of objects like a little fly or like something that is, it is, and it's not so much about that fly, it is actually about something else. So your story there was beautiful because it was an insect that, that you know, perhaps where the fright came from. Yes. But sometimes children will use something else as what they're frightened of and it's actually not about that. But as you mentioned before, which is so beautiful, that balance of attention it's bringing the fear to the surface and also the safety that we can help children move it. And, and a lot of our instinct, I think, as parents, obviously because we want our kids to be okay and we love them, is that when our child is scared of something, we're like, okay, we'll just move you away from it. You don't have to deal with it or, or get that fly out or, you know, whatever, so that they don't have to feel that. Yet if we can look at it through the lens of how do we help them move whatever that fright is in their body in a safe way, mm. then we can actually do some beautiful healing. And, and as you said, that's where laughter can be so powerful to help shift um, whatever's going on there. Mm, I'd love to add another little thing there is to be really helpful to notice that it's, um, what's the word? It's like uh it's like a biological imperative that we learn from those around us seeing what other people are scared of. You know, we grow up in a culture, you know, in one culture, it's going to be dangerous to be anywhere near, uh, I don't know, whatever, a snake in another country, they're going to be totally safe. So um, we, as children, will be observing what we're scared of, which is why fear is so uh, easily transmittable from parents to children and from children to other children, because we are designed to really quickly learn if something's dangerous, it's really, um, what's the word? There's a, there's a word for that biological imperative. You know, it's really, it makes sense that we will quickly learn what's, what's, um, 
what's to be scared of so which is why fears mm. can so easily pop up because um mm. it's important to learn what's what's totally. to be scared of. yeah yeah absolutely and they do serve a purpose as you're saying they help us you know figure out do what, what do i need to do to feel safe and then yeah. And then how can we also heal from that? I mean, this is not so much a, a, actually it was a fear when my daughter, she went through a fear of swimming lessons, which I think many parents can relate to because sometimes swimming lessons can be so full on. They can, children can feel pretty powerless and it can be a loud environment depending on where you do it. And a lot of fear can come up for children being in the water and feeling, you know, there's that primal instinct again, is something going to happen to me? I don't, you know, I could drown here or whatever's going on. And my daughter had a bit of a, a not so great experience with swimming lessons and um, was kind of shamed around it and and therefore developed this really big fear of swimming lessons and didn't want to go and there was a lot of resistance. And we did a lot of play around swimming. Which And so what we would do is we would go to the pool when there wasn't really anyone around or and it wasn't a lesson. And I would she would be the instructor and she would teach me how to swim. And so I would kind of pretend to swallow water and spurt stuff everywhere and she would laugh laugh hysterically and and then sometimes I'd go I'm a bit scared I don't know what to do and she'd be like it's okay I've got you and we did swimming lessons together where she was the instructor like about six times before she even felt ready to maybe try something new and again then it had to be on her terms and but that play where she got to be the boss and also she got to laugh a lot around it was amazing and even when we would have a bath um you know I would have sometimes we'd have a bath with her and she didn't particularly like the water going over her head so she'd pour water on my head and then she'd laugh hysterically I'd be like don't pour water on my head and she would and then she would you know be cackling because she did it and we would make so much mess in the bath but it it was all about that you know shifting some of those deeper fears there whether it was around the water around what happened of trusting that journey and and like we often say with play it was following the laughter so I would try some things and think I wonder if that's going to work and then it wouldn't and then something else I'd do where she would laugh hysterically and then I'd do it quite a few times and I just trusted that that was what it was in helping her to move some of those stories there. Mm, I love that. I think it's really important now to to say that I think some people go, oh, well, this type of play will work for every child, but Mm. a particular type of play might work for one child and not another. It may work for one child one day and not the other day. Really important to hold that in mind. The other thing I wanted to really state as well is um, in Aware Parenting, we really talk about not tickling. So when we're talking about laughter, we're not talking about tickling because if you were ever tickled as a younger person, you might remember, even though you were laughing, you might have felt really powerless, can feel really overwhelming to our nervous systems. And um, that would not, that's not the balance of attention, basically. Mm, yes, that's such a great point. And, and one that I think is really important because I, again, another story, did get pinned down by my older brother and was tickled and would often wet my pants because I couldn't say no and um, as in because I couldn't breathe and I didn't have a voice and and that's what would happen and that was you know that was a big um, that was a really powerless experience you know and I'm sure other people can relate to that and if you know kids and I think a really good thing to say around tickling too is that children will sometimes ask to be tickled and um, parents will often say that to me but they love tickling and I'm like okay so what they're often asking for is connection or playfulness so you could do it but in a way where 
they get to perhaps pretend to tickle you or you pretend to tickle their foot so they can move their body away. Um, but there's other ways that we can have that connection where it doesn't mean that they um, can't speak or can't move their bodies away. So I think it's really important to be discerning around that. Mm. Yes. Mm. Anything else you want to say about phobias and fears? Um, I don't think so. Uh, to say that as adults we can we can do this as well. We can watch a movie about something that's something that's a bit scary for us, or we've had painful experiences around. I remember once watching a movie and it was about a single parent or two single parents meeting up. And I remember one time the the mum was carrying this like big son and like who was asleep and and like moving around and kind of bashing his head into things accidentally and I was I remember for that just laughing and laughing and laughing and having feelings around sometimes the challenge of being a a single mama Mm. with you know in those kinds of situations so Mm. I think it's also worth noticing when we laugh it's often a little point point to us to go oh I wonder what this is helping Mm. us connect with and heal from yeah and the other thing too you know when we're talking about phobias and fears if parents are listening to this and go gosh my child's really scared of this what could I do come back again to trusting our children's natural ability to know how to heal from it. So even if you're listening and thinking, I don't know if I could play a game with a puppet or pretend to be scared or those kind of things, it's really interesting. Sometimes the fears or phobias will come up and children get upset. So whether it is holding that space for some tears for them to cry or just watching where they might move in play and then, you know, and then joining them in with that. Always, I think the key for me is follow the laughter. Just follow the laughter because sometimes we don't know really what to do with play or where it looks, but we can try one thing, go, yeah, that doesn't work or, you know, and then, you know, following that laughter can make a big difference in in just trusting that journey that they're showing us what they need. Mm, and I think the more we do it, the more they um, they get that sense of trust and they will start, if you have siblings, they'll start playing it with each other, I remember when Lana was about six and Sonny was about two, she would play attach and play games. Mm. I'd played with her, with him, and that's always oh, a bonus. Yeah. I could have a sit down and just watch them. <laughs> so, you know, it's really understanding that they will often also run with things. They will often ask for games that we've uh, initiated. They'll often mm. adjust games to make them more, the balance of attention for them. You know, they'll, so it's like really an interaction, isn't it? When we we might offer something, they might change it. We mm. might, you know, it's just it makes it. Um, yeah, I love the trust thing that you mm. talked about. And look, one type of play which you probably might observe what your children do is when they just create a scenario or tell you, you know, you're this person, and then we're on lava, and then we're doing this, and and that beautiful just following your child's lead in play can be so magnificent to get a bit of an insight into what's going on in their world. And again, coming back to just trusting what they're playing out is part of what they're needing to process. So that can be a beautiful thing just to watch and observe, you know, play doesn't have to be, okay, I'm going to set up this game to help you with your fear of dogs. It can just be really sometimes following their lead and watching what they do. You know, where we see this often with children, when there's a new baby in the family, kids might naturally want to play families or play mums and dads or play whatever. And they might act it out with teddies or trains or, you know, when they're going to put the, the baby has to live in the toilet and, you know, or things like that, where they, what they're feeling around the new sibling, they'll play out as opposed to doing it in person. So again, watching them play or allow, giving them space to follow their lead when they play can just be so beautifully insightful as to what they're processing and what they're working through. 
Mm, it's like a window into their soul, isn't it, in a way, yeah. to see what's going on in their inner worlds. And I think if you can look at it with, like, for me, I always used to watch with complete curiosity. I'd be like, oh, what are they going to play today? Because we're like, oh, maybe they're processing this. Like I used to just watch with complete um, delight and interest to see what game they would keep playing or what they'd migrate to, to because I was like, oh, it was like being able to understand exactly what was happening in their world or what they were still stuck on as they would move that piece or, or whatever it is that they were working through, which is why some children want to play the same game over and over and over over and over again until they don't need to you know that's part of what they're processing and learning or you know um, navigating at the time and then when they've had enough of it they'll often let it go yes mm. although sometimes that children can get stuck so sometimes if it's going on and on and on for weeks months perhaps and you don't really see there's not much laughter then it's more like a rigid a rigid sense of the mm -hmm. play that can be a sign of actually us needing to move in and so we can still follow their lead but we can also bring in like nonsense play or power of us or games so in other words we get to be really silly and goofy when they ask mm. us to do something we they might say you know I want you to be the train driver again and whereas before we might have just followed that and followed that where mm. we might go oh okay I'm the train driver okay where's my um where is my nose picking and you know start to be silly and goofy or mm. you know just so actually bring in some of the elements of attach and play mm. into what they're asking us and to see mm. if that actually helps move the play along a bit mm. yes that's a beautiful point should we talk about another um play we could talk about separation because that's a big one of when children have a hard time separating or maybe it's being dropped off at kinder or daycare or school or or if you have to go out somewhere some separation games that can be really great to help children process what's going on there Yes. So again, with separation games, I think it's even possibly even more important there to be holding in mind the balance of attention because we're, of course, wanting to give them that sense of connection and safety on the left side. I've got the left side. And on the other side, that sense of separation. So depending on the child and their experience and their age, you know, for some children, they might want to play hide and seek, um, you know, before the separation or once they get home again. Um, but, and some children might be willing to hide on their own, whereas another child might really need to hide with the other parent or another sibling. Um, for another child, that may be too far on the side of reminding them of the separation. So for them, it might be um, having them on your back and then saying, um, where's, where's Peter? I'm sure Peter was here a minute ago. Where is he? Peter, where are you? And then, and then suddenly pretend to see Peter on your back and, oh, there you are, Peter. And, and so similarly with hide and seek, you can um, add that extra element of attachment plays that when when they find you is to to jump up in the air and pretend to be surprised or when you find them to be like, oh, my gosh, I miss you so much. And, you know, kiss them a million times. So we're, we're bringing in this these absolute qualities of playfulness to the play, which increase that healing factor of them. So, um, yeah, any suggestions around separation games? Um, it, you can, you know, sometimes we used to play games where I would say if my child was going out, so I'd be like, I don't want you to go. No, stay with me forever. And I'd hold on to them. I'm like, I haven't kissed you a hundred times. And they'd be like, mom, let me go, you know, and we'd kind of reverse the roles. 
Yes. I would be really upset that they were leaving and or sometimes, you know, we would have a, a tug of war over our child if who loved them more. So my partner and I would fight over the kids, which they absolutely loved, and they'd often go, do the fighting game, <laughs> like what you pretend to fight over who loves them more. And that can often be a great game to play too if your child's going through a phase where they only want, you know, one parent to put them to bed or one parent to feed them or one parent to do this. Playing that kind of game over who loves them more can be beautiful, you know, to, to help again dissolve some of that tension or playing a game with the parent where you are on the same team with the child the parent they don't really want to be with and we have to go and find that parent so that you guys are a team together so some games like that can be really really beautiful to help kids process that that separation the being there and coming back and you know that it can be really big and so particularly for for sometimes drop off with kinder and daycare and schools and stuff like that playing a little bit of hide and seek before you go can be really powerful bringing as much laughter as possible before you have to drop a child off can also help with that with that separation as well as obviously listening to tears and holding space and I think we did a podcast really early on separation i think so you can go back and listen to that because they've got some more ideas in there as well hey i'd love mm. to add that he's mine game or she's my game i mm. think it might be a lawrence cohen game might not it that's um um playful parenting it's another mm. enjoyable book and i also remember that um my lovely's dad and i used to play that sometimes with sunny when he was reluctant to leave to go to michael's mm. house and we'd play mm. there he's mine no he's mine no he's mine and then also Michael and I would end up laughing a lot too because I think we were also mm-hmm. healing for some some feelings that were a little bit like oh, he's mine. <laughs> so yeah, it can be profound healing for us as adults when we're actually playing yes. touch and play. You know, we can be healing from our own experiences around separation when we're playing hide and seek. If we're laughing, yes. we're also healing. <laughs> yes, I love that. That's such a beautiful reminder. I um I wanted to talk about a some attachment play I did around learning because, you know, some big stuff can come up around schooling for children and about not getting things right or perhaps some stuff has gone on in school where they feel embarrassed or, you know, there's many things that go on. And uh, it was something that happened with one of my kids where, unfortunately, this is a really yucky story. I think she was in grade three. They had to stand up and say something. It was a maths question. And my daughter wasn't great with being put on the spot and she got it wrong. Or And the teacher, I mean, this makes me, my heart hurt, basically said to her, are you that stupid? Don't you know the answer in front of all the kids? And then all the kids laughed. I mean, isn't, isn't that like a story from a bad television show, right? And so, of course, my daughter went into complete shame and shut down. And um, and she often says, she goes, that's where I stopped learning, mum, because I just felt so embarrassed and so much shame. So I didn't know about this story until a month or two later, because I began to see that she was having a lot of trouble with learning. And then, you know, when I dug a bit deeper, it came out that that's what happened. And so um, I did a lot of listening to her around how that felt. And then we started to play lots of games where she got to be the teacher um, or she got to use, and it was at the time, and please listen to this with an open heart, everyone. She got to swear. (laughs) I felt really powerless and what she really wanted to say to the teacher was, you know, 
don't you speak to me like that, all those kind of things. So we played lots of games where I was the teacher and and it would happen again and she got to say what she really wanted to and she would come up with the most elaborate swear words and we would both be in hysterics around it. Um, And what we did, we did lots of role play around what she wished she had been able to say at the time. And then we had to do lots of games which were really about getting things wrong and making mistakes and both my husband and I really joined in a lot of stuffing up and getting things wrong and, Um, and the kids would laugh or we'd deliberately get it wrong and slowly, slowly, slowly we could see that a lot of that that stuckness for her around it's not safe for me to answer questions or learning and that kind of stuff started to shift and move a little bit more. And now I'm talking about that story. I think that's probably fueled one of my main reasons why I decided to build a school as well because I do not want that to happen to children ever, Mm. ever, 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 ever. I could see the pain that happened for my daughter around that and, um, and that is not what should happen for our beautiful children. So that was probably more evidence I needed that we want to shift the culture on some level around helping children to learn and feel safe to learn. And it's okay to make a mistake and we all make mistakes and using laughter and, and those kind of things. But that was um, that was a powerful learning experience where, you know, my daughter got to say the things she wished she had have been able to say in the moment and we made them silly and funny and she used to swear words and you know that always created lots of laughter and so it it shifted some of the stuff that was sitting there for her Mm, yes oh I so hear that I'm also remembering um a time where my son had an unenjoyable dentist experience where the dentist Mm. took out his wobbly teeth without giving without getting his permission and Mm. um we'd gone we'd gone a long way away to find this dentist that was an alternative and all the things so it was about 45 minutes drive home and all the way I just said to him you know what do you what do you want to say to him and what do you want to do to him and he was just like you know I want to do this that the other and I'm gonna go on Facebook and tell everyone that he's never to go to him and he's just been the whole way um saying those things and really that was helpful not so much uh Mm. attachment play but just reminded me Mm, yes yes I think that's such a big important thing for kids depending on what age is that when sometimes these things happen because often our default is to freeze in those moments particularly when we're all run you know or you know again we've talked about this with trauma um, but often for kids it can be to freeze because they don't feel like they can have a voice to say what they need to giving them the opportunity to say what they wish they could have said can be so powerful. I mean, that's powerful for us as adults, right? When we are in these situations where sometimes we don't get to speak what we need to, to go back and actually say, I wanted to say this, 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 and this, and that can be very, very helpful to help us um, move some of the stuckness that we feel as well. Mm, so powerful. Yes. Mm. It's one of my passions, as you know, as adults, that we get to say what we didn't say. That's one of the key ways I work with healing from past trauma as adults. Yes. I think I've told that story too. Once my daughter, she got a big fright from this woman who was drunk, I think. She was on the street and she really scared her. Like she must have been about five or six at the time. And when she came home, I may have shared this story. We, I said to her, what do you need to play? And she said, we need to play it was like um it was like 
hunters or something like that. And so we made these bow and arrows and we made like <laughs> these masks for our eyes. And we basically ran around the house, um, you know, trying to shoot targets and different bits and pieces, which was, again, what I really observed was her powerlessness that she didn't feel that she, and then she was the one that got to do it. And then what I she did was like, what I want to say to that lady. And so she'd be yelling like, go away, lady, or don't bring your bad energy here. <laughs> she'd say all these big things that she couldn't say at the time and we would laugh and we you know she'd practice saying it and we had to play the the hunting game for probably about three or four days actually and and, you know and and then she just didn't need to play it anymore and it was really beautiful again just trusting her process of what she needed to do and and that was a game that she chose to do as she was processing what was going on so wise Mm, they are aren't they should we talk about um birth trauma because yeah, well, every be time nice. I'm thinking when mm, we're exactly thinking the next one I love that because <laughs> um, birth trauma can be a big thing that children will often play out um, sometimes we don't even realize that they're doing it but they're um, they're working through sometimes birth trauma whether they've been you know stuck at some point in birth perhaps they had an assisted delivery um, perhaps they were born by cesarean you know and you know, no matter how our children are born, sometimes there's pieces that they need to still work through, no matter how they, they came out. And that can be another beautiful thing to help facilitate for our children or just trust in their experiences as they move through that. Do you, do you have any stories to share around or what you would suggest around birth trauma? Uh, I always think it's really helpful. Um, IKEA used to have them, those tunnels. I think mm. for, for any family, it's really helpful to have a, a tunnel to, mm. to play games with. Um, I remember with my kids, I'm sure I think we shared this even recently where I'd play a game, I'd get on all fours. Um, so my daughter had a really long birthing process and my son really quick. So I would get on all fours and they would get underneath me and I would let them kind of squeeze through the, my legs, you know, where my knees mm. were. And we'd, I'd put a little bit of pressure so that it was a bit of an effort and, and they mm. would go through phases of wanting to play that over and over and over again. Mm. Um, but I just think tunnel games are often really, really helpful yeah. games yeah. to play. Yeah. And sometimes children, I, I found too, you know, they want to sometimes push against something. So sometimes you might hold a pillow if you build a cubby or a fort and they'll want to kind of push against the pillow and then wait and then push again until they pop out. And then, you know, sometimes they're like, no, I'm not ready to come out yet. And really trusting what they're doing as they're playing and working through that. Um, I know we, again, we've probably shared this story. My daughter, my third daughter had a pretty challenging birth experience and, um, and she was born by a cesarean. And she even said to me, I want to be born again. And she wanted to play being born. Excuse me, you can hear my dog in the background mm. barking. He wants to pre- do some healing with Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> because I love that we're the super duper professional podcast. <laughs> um, that's why we have our animals included in our storytelling. We like uh, but included. We do. <laughs> my daughter, she... Um, yeah, she wanted to play being born again, and and but part of, and she was maybe four at the time. I mean, you were there, Marion, and she she wanted to act out how she was born, and then she wanted to act out how she wished she was born, and it was a pretty powerful experience um, going through and letting her lead what happened and how it happened, and um, it was pretty powerful. Her working through some of the things that she did, and and totally again trusting that whole experience that she 
she was showing what she needed to do as she was doing it. That was that was such a huge experience. Wouldn't that have been amazing to capture that on film? Yes. Because that was just so powerful, that experience, wasn't it? <laughs> so, powerful. so powerful. And then I loved, I, I remember this, after we did this huge rebirthing experience and, you know, and she was happy at the end of it and she felt great. And then I remember she called me into the bathroom and she was four at the time and she said to me, Mummy, if you have any feelings about me being born, I can listen to them. <laughs> but going, okay, thanks, darling. That's not your job, but wow. Okay, thanks. Yeah, it was big. Oh, mm. so yummy. Do you know, I'm also thinking as well, because play, we can uh, use play to prepare children for things. So we, we were going to talk about medical procedures and dentists and, and so on. But also I was remembering um, for my daughter um, with my son's birth, we had an unassisted home birth and we were going to, we were planning on a lotus birth, which is keeping the placenta uh, connected until it, it comes off naturally or is kicked off and so what I'd done is I sewed a little doll for her with a little um what they called they're like a little press stud mm. with the with a little umbilical cord and placenta and she would play with that loads and loads and then once she'd seen Sunny and seen seen that whole process for him she would play that a lot as well so these are games as well that children will often play if we as part of preparing for a new sibling if they're going to be present at birth we can um, actually play games around that um, if we're gonna I also had things like a, a little sling for her doll because I would be carrying Sunny in a carrier so um, we would always play games around that so there are lots of ways that we can prepare children for just about anything that they haven't experienced before through play and that may be often with those kinds of play there may be less laughter because it's more about the actually um the getting familiar with things and getting to to see what it, what it's like and um but we're really really powerful to prepare so i i've done that with the dentist as well we played dentist games that just really really helpful to prepare children for new things yeah i'd love that especially if your child has to have an operation or an anesthetic or anything like that to play hospitals or doctors or whatever you want to call it, where you might model what's going to happen with the teddy with them and then they get to be the doctor and and do it and and doing that over and over and over so that they they are very aware of what's going to happen because you know as we've talked about with the word parenting information is very powerful for children sometimes they need to understand what's going to happen so that they don't need to be scared or worried or frightened so that's where play as you're saying again, can be so powerful to role play the situation that's going to happen and you can also do that with when your child first starts kinder or school or the those kind of things we're going to put the back you know backpack on and then we go here and we do this and then we might have a kiss and a cuddle and then we'll say goodbye and then we'll do this piece and and those things can be so powerful for children then to understand what's going to happen so there isn't that fear or worry there mm. so that's really preventative for stress mm. and trauma and I've had worked with so many parents over the years who said like you know you know my child went into wherever it was and they were really relaxed whereas if they're going in with fear or lack of information mm. or powerlessness and then perhaps the person that they're with is using power over them actually mm. it's um you know it's such a powerful way to mean the actual experience itself is less likely to be stressful or traumatic yeah absolutely even while we're on the on the um topic of medical stuff 
if children have to take medicines or those kind of things, you can do lots of beautiful play around that as well, yes. which could be that they have to pretend to give you or give you medicine. You might get a dropper and fill it with water and they have to put it in your mouth and you'd be like, no, I don't want to and spit it everywhere. And then they might laugh because you've made a huge mess. Or, um, you know, we, we played a game once where my daughter had to take some stuff and, you know, the game was that she had to chase me around the house and then jump on me to put the medicine in my mouth and she loved it. And, of course, I'd keep tripping over and I, I couldn't run away and so she would get me and we would play and play and play where she was more in charge of, of do it and I'd, sometimes I'd be like, don't put the medicine in my ear and then she'd be like, oh, and she'd go to squirt water in my ear and then she would cackle hysterically and, you know, we did that quite a lot and then when it came to taking the medicine, she would just sit there and go, okay, and she would do it. And so there's lots of different beautiful things that you can do where, you know, so much of it can be that they are in charge. They are the ones who are dictating how it's happening. They, you are the one that perhaps is either frightened or can't get it right or um, make a mistake or all those places where sometimes we feel powerless. That, that's often where the beautiful laughter can happen for the kids when we are in that position. Mm, yes, I've uh, over the years worked with a few families of children who have allergies and have quite restricted diets as well. Those kinds of games mm. can be really helpful for them because they can feel really powerless. So if they're getting to be the one who's insisting that the parent can only have this and not that, mm. that can really help them. I'm also remembering times just with things like taking out splinters um, mm. or, you know, up here we have um, ticks as well. Uh, and playing things like the approach avoidance game as well, where like the tweezers, I move them forward a little bit, a little bit, and they get to say stop, and then I need to go back again, or you know, just uh, games where just any of the things where we might feel tempted um, to use power over our child. These are ways, times that we can actually bring in play. Mm. Again, preventing stress and trauma from happening in the first place. Yes, absolutely. You know, another thing when we're talking about preventing stress and trauma, trauma uh, can be around trauma. toileting. Trauma, 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 trauma. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's what I do often if I am doing a public talking, speaking, you <laughs> can't speak, yeah. and I get my words wrong. I'll like I'll literally be on stage going, bleh, 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 sorry, let's rewind and start that again. Like because yeah. I laugh myself, even if the audience doesn't laugh, I'm like, it's cool. I've just made a mistake. I can't speak, so we'll start again. And I actually don't feel stressed about it because I'm laughing, and then usually they laugh because you know laughter is contagious a lot of the time so sometimes that can I, I even do that now you know when I get yes. things wrong or stuff like that yeah me the, too. the ability to laugh at yourself or to yeah, to be in humor just relaxes everybody as well I remember um uh, Helena and I Helena Mooney is another aware parenting instructor we used to uh, run uh, together aware parent um attach and play workshops in Sydney and beforehand we do all the kind of silly goosey voices and I don't know what to say I don't know what am I gonna say and <laughs> and actually getting up on stage and doing attach and play demonstrating mm. it is one of the most powerful ways to mm. actually heal from fear of um, standing up and public speaking because we were literally being uh, deliberately being silly and goofy mm. it's a really great thing so if you want to yes. go and do some attach and play in front of a group of people it's really helpful <laughs> <laughs> so good so good so what I was going to say sorry is, totally took, so it's all good 
so good. I was going to talk about toileting because sometimes that can be huge for some families when children are um, learning to, you know, use the toilet and perhaps not using nappies anymore. And sometimes, you know, there can be shame for children around this or, you know, sometimes there can be great expectations around how that should look. And so playing around toileting can be so brilliant to to remove or to relieve some of the charge that goes with it. So I often have worked with a lot of parents where, um, you know, we we get like a pl- plastic potty or a pretend toilet, you know, and the kids are playing with it and and the teddy needs to go to the toilet, but he's missed the toilet and he's done a big fart or something like that and the kids laugh or the parent pretending to go to the child's to- like little potty and go into the toilet and the kids are like, that's not where you go or, um, you know, anything that can bring some laughter around that can be so wonderful with relieving some of the the tension that can go with toileting. I mean, that's similar to, you know, we, we've done a podcast on food and toileting and talking about those things too. If you want to go back and listen to that, the same around food, you know, eating can be a big charge, you know, we, and we've talked about in that podcast that, you know, toileting and food are, are usually two of the things that children can have control over. And so therefore that's sometimes where they will hold on to going to the toilet uh, with food. Again, they can restrict what they're putting in their mouths, those so when we can bring some humor and some laughter to it and lots of power reversal where the child is in charge can be such, can make such a difference to the energy that goes with that. Mm. I'd also love to add if anyone's um, doing nappy free or elimination communications, I did that with my lovelies that that's also can have children can have feelings around that. So I often remember playing there, um, pretending to look around the house and, and sit on different uh, surfaces and go, I'm going to we here. Oh, no, hang on. Where do I we? No, we over there. No, I'm going to, that's where I do a poo. Oh, I forgot. And I would also have feelings because with EC is often a lot of misses. So often a lot of we goes in other places. So those are also really helpful for me. I needed to do a lot of laughing about that too. <laughs> amazing amazing so i mean there's some of the things we've just touched on of of big stuff that we see with um wonderful parents that we work with in with situations that come up with either whether it's trauma or whether it's um just preparing our children you know one of the greatest things that play does as well which we wanted to touch on is is about creating cooperation and we've talked about this in many of our other podcasts as well where play can be just so magnificent can facilitate that beautiful connection that creates cooperation so often when children you know are not listening or they don't want to get dressed or get into the car seat or you know go to school or different bits and pieces then play can be such another wonderful way to build that beautiful connection so that a child feels us there that they might be able to release some of the fears or tensions or whatever's going on for them so then they are more willing to cooperate and then I think that's where play for me particularly as well as helping my children heal from stuff it has been one of the most amazing tools in my toolbox to create cooperation with my children even as teenagers still, <laughs> I find Oh, that. give me a game. I want one. <laughs> Tell me where you play now. <laughs> the other day I asked my daughter, I was like, could you please fold the washing? And she's like, oh, do I have to? And I walked over it and I put my arms, like I, I stood behind her and put my arms kind of through her arms. And I was like, don't worry, I'll help you. And, like, I put my hands on top of her hands. It was like I was trying to fold the washing, but I kept getting it wrong and throwing. And she's like, oh, mum, you're such that. an idiot. <laughs> But we were laughing and literally what I was doing is I was hugging her from behind, which I think I felt her then just kind of melt into me 
And then I was like, come on, I'll tell you a funny story while we're folding the washing. And she just, she needed a tiny bit of connection yeah. and playfulness. And then she did it. I mean, you know, we're talking about play here with healing. Like this, you can also use this for teens. I mean, it looks a bit different and it is kind of meeting them more where they're at. But, uh, you know, through things like memes or watching funny stuff or, you know, I've also found that that, that laughter with my teens can be beautiful. So my kids sometimes, you know, they want to make TikToks or do dances and they're like, mum, can you please be in it? And so I just deliberately be really stupid or stuff it up and they just wet themselves laughing because they are really, I'm like, post that one, post that one. Your friends will love it. And they're like, we are not posting that one. <laughs> and so they find that really funny or, um, you know, I think our teens need it as well. They really need that play and that silliness as well because it creates that, um, that connection uh it's it's yeah that's really beautiful yeah as well they need it you know what I'm remembering something from years and years ago I remember my daughter she'd got this app and maybe she was like 10 10 they were 10 and 6 or something and maybe a bit older maybe 12 and and eight and she said can we do play this app together and I said oh no it's an app I don't really want them to be on the phone on oh you know I was like all like that about it and it was this thing I don't know if you remember at the time dub smash so it was oh, like, yeah. you know had the and mm-hmm. we did though we did about six of them and seriously I had so much fun <laughs> I have not laughed like that for such a long time it was so funny that I'd started off this you know oh no anyway so um it's also being willing to be surprised isn't it that that laughter can come out of especially places where we might have fear or judgment and actually if we trust them we can have an amazing time yeah i need need to come and have a session with you lel teenagers and play can i come have a session yes we should do that well i have to say my daughter turned 18 the other day and she had a small little party and she um and she decided she wanted to have a theme and the theme was iconic. You have to dress as something iconic. And so my husband, uh, what he did. I have seen the pictures. <laughs> yeah, they're so cool. He um, he designed, we dressed up as chocolate bars. My husband and I as iconic chocolate bars. And he designed these logos and we were wearing these full-on matching tracksuits as chocolate bars. And my daughter didn't know what we were dressed as. And so she had about eight friends over. And I'm like, we'll show you, we'll come out. And then we literally jumped into her room as chocolate bars. And, it, and the kids were laughing. Like it was so beautiful. Just they were like, that's awesome. We want to take photos. And then that night at her party, I laughed my husband so much the kids are all doing their thing and often heaps of them just left their phones laying around and with an iphone you could pick it up and just take a photo so my husband like was going around picking up phones and taking funny photos of himself <laughs> with their phones and then the next day my my daughter's friends were texting her going why do i have a picture of your dad on my camera roll <laughs> And my daughter's like, because my dad thinks he's really funny, but I can tell they were laughing. Oh. So, I mean, Indy was laughing. She's like, that's seven friends who've got pictures of you. <laughs> and, and we were I just dressed as a chocolate bar as well. Yeah, dressed as a chocolate bar. Like I just, I love that because um, it, it is, it's that playfulness and silliness that we, um, you know, that we, I think we forget as adults and it's just magic for our kids. It is so magic. And I have to really acknowledge my husband here because my natural default isn't so much to be playful, but his is. And so he always, you know, brings that out in me and, and with the kids. And so I absolutely love that because it does, um, it, it just builds connection and, and particularly even with teens, you know, they, 
we laugh a lot together and we share lots of funny stuff and that just, yeah, it, it, it really, it, it's beautiful. I mean, that's what we want. You know, there's a lot of eye rolling there. Let me just say too, there's times that's where they're just like, you guys are just too embarrassing. And we're like, yes, <laughs> we've succeeded. That's our job. Yes, that's why I um, say it's my job. Yep. <laughs> but then there's also a lot of laughter and you know, mm. that's good. And I think, you know, and, and as you would see this, and I think if you're listening to this, we always talk about look for the evidence when we can be playful with our children, whether that's to, you know, to create cooperation, whether it's to help with some healing, whether it's, you know, helping them to eat more vegetables or, or whatever it is, the, look for the evidence of how your child looks afterwards. Are they, is their body relaxed? Does they feel more connection? Are they more willing to do stuff because of that play, because of that laughter? Because the evidence so much sits there. Yes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> such a magnificent healing tool it really is and combined with you know what we talk about here with holding space for tears it just it you know f- uh, after doing this for quite a long time with my children I just see that it is such a magical beautiful way to raise our kids to to really facilitate more cooperation and connection and and just that beauty of what we want with our children you know being connected in our families Yes, so much so. I, I think play is so underestimated. I sometimes think it's one of the most powerful things in aware parenting. Like I've done workshops with adults around attachment play and where we talked about control patterns and people had their phones there and there was such profound big stuff happened in those sessions. And the other thing I often think of is His Holiness the Dalai Lama and that kind of chuckle that he has, you know, and the you know huge amount of trauma that he and his people have been through. I think laughter and plays is such a profound and sacred gift that we have as humans. And when we really remember it, I often find it's about even remembering. I I know um, with my attachment play course, plug, plug, that people often say just signing up or just actually, you know, just thinking about it. I know for me now, I feel inspired to go and get, be playful with my lovely teenagers um, after this. It's like being amongst that energy because just as fear is um, catching, what's that word? Catch, I'm coming the words today. Contagious. Contagious. Mm. So is laughter contagious, which is why if you go and go on YouTube and Google laughter on the train, there are those videos where it's one person <laughs> laughing on a train and then everyone starts laughing. Mm. It's mm. powerful. It's, it's mm. you know, again, we're designed to do this. So um, mm. get playful and watch playful things and listen to this again and <laughs> mm. read Alita's book. And-, mm. and I just want to add to, you know, whilst while we wind up that, that sometimes this can feel challenging and, and to remind oh, everybody. We didn't too, even talk for, about that, did we? Yeah, but for some of us, you know, well, actually I think a lot of us, we weren't really played with. And, and and sometimes that could bring up big feelings for us as well around the fact that we weren't played with or we don't have a role model of how that looks and being playful can be cha- challenging for some people. So be gentle with yourself if you do find it tricky. And I always say just start small and, and you know, start with just compassion for yourself if you do find it challenging. And and my other tip would be go and do Marion's attachment play course because it's really amazing and it's going to help you learn learn more about this but also really help you to find your own unique flavour within it. Thank you, Lel. I so appreciate you. Mm, well, I think if anybody's listening to this and it's new and you want more guidance around it, then 
and your course is the way to go because you talk about all the different types of play, lots of examples. It's, yeah, it's really, really awesome. So highly, highly recommend doing it. Thank you. Lots of videos, loads of ideas. We're just doing a live round right now. Plug, plug. Mm. (laughs) Whatever you do, do not come and do my attachment. Okay. (laughs) Whatever you do. (laughs) So good. So good. All right. So to finish up, is there anything? Well, I also wanted to do plugging for you. So, oh, thanks, so I know your um, immersions about half Yes, four. I have an immersion starting in two weeks on the 26th of July. If anyone's listening to this in kind of real time, um, I've still got a few spots left. So if anyone wants to do eight weeks of kind of going into your stories and how that turns up as a parent, I would love to have you come along for the Yay. journey. And I do want to say ever, anyone that I've ever spoken to has done your immersion now always says like it was the turning point in their life. It was oh, the most profound thing they've done. Stunning. I know people have said it's like doing five years of therapy jeez oh, no pressure <laughs> thank you I so appreciate that I so appreciate that and um okay is there anything you want to offer to finish off Marion as we as sorry we so busy plugging my course I could, forgot to no um well what would I love to offer mm, okay I would love to invite you to connect back with a younger self. Just imagine like a you that just pops up and whatever age it is, what would you have loved your parents or family of origin to have played with you? What would, what would you have most long for? And would you like to go and do that with your child or children? Mm, that's beautiful. And my invitation is just to be a little bit more silly yeah. because I think we all get a little bit serious as we get older and, um, I think we all need a little bit of a bit of silliness. So I invite you to be a little bit silly, whether that's putting on a song and being like just doing crazy dance, singing really loudly in a weird voice in your car or making fart noises with your kids or whatever it is. I would I really, never do that now. Oh, <laughs> I totally would do that. <laughs> I really invite you to, to do it. Do you know what I just was remembering too? Like before I worked in birth and parenting, I was actually a children's entertainer I for know. about seven years, right, which I look back on now and it was all about healing it was because I never really got played with as a kid um and so when I started working I think I was maybe 19 or 20 when I first started my company doing it and I would literally go to people's houses and dress up as a fairy or a mermaid or whatever and entertain their kids at a party but play and gosh it taught me so much about laughter and um and being with children and it was all magical and beautiful and it was so much fun and I look back on all those parties and all those things I did all those years and I think it was actually so much for my own healing really of of the magical parts that I never actually felt like I got I I got to do that through work so there we go again that wisdom isn't it the wisdom of your psyche Mm. that that's you chose that Amazing. Well, I look at that and think, yeah, I, I had to do some healing around the playfulness of my childhood. Then I started working in birth, which was really healing a whole lot of stuff around birth. Then I started working in parenting, which is healing myself on parenting. And then I built a school because I needed to heal around my health stuff around school. So I wonder what's coming next. Yes, I'm <laughs> excited to see the next thing. We'll see the next bit. Anyway, well, I hope that has been enjoyable for you. I feel better even just talking yeah. about play, Marion, and laughing yes, yes. from my, my little crush i've been going through gosh it helps doesn't it just to laugh and be playful and to be silly really does help us come back to our true core essence so thank you everybody for for listening and sharing and we hope that this podcast has given you some good tips and ideas to work with with your family if you want to know more we mentioned aletha salter's book attachment plays brilliant Uh, lawrence cohen's book 
Playful Parenting is also really great. Marion's course, if you want to <laughs> learn more, do that. Um, there, there's some beautiful resources out there for play. So, yeah, please um, please go check them out. Mm, yes. Mm. Yum. Thanks for uh, the- I felt really tempted to make a fart noise just then, but I didn't. <laughs> One day I will. <laughs> I love that. So good. All right. Thank you for being here, everybody. Take uh, care. So much love to you. Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.